This is Mission.org. For those listening, I would ask yourself, like, your leadership team, are you just a bunch of people that report to the same person? Or are you really, truly operating as a team? When someone calls you, you drop what you're doing and you support them, first and foremost. Are your goals aligned? Most organizations I've been at are more people reporting the same person as opposed to truly operating as a first team. In your first few months at a new CMO job, What approach should you take to set yourself up for success? Today's guest says that building a team culture should be at the top of your priority list. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and today I'm pleased to welcome Jeff Winter, Chief Marketing Officer at the insurance software provider, Duck Creek Technologies. Jeff, who's held leadership roles at major companies like IBM and Rocket Software, joined Duck Creek last year and quickly went about implementing some valuable team development strategies that every marketing leader should hear. Tune in to learn how to strengthen your corporate connections and turbocharge your team building skills. Let's get into it. I love your background. I mean, I, of course, did some snooping before the show. And I mean, I want to get into some of this, too, because I I mean, you've worked at obviously some really small companies like IBM and SAP, um, (laughs) you know, but but how how your experience working at these places has informed you as a leader, as a marketing leader, because certainly, I mean, just some some really interesting experience from SAP, IBM, Pitney Bowes, of course, like some pretty big, big brands and then over to Rocket Software and now to, to Duck Creek Technology. So I want to get into some of that as well. Yep. But for our audience, let's just start at the tippity top and just describe Duck Creek Technologies and your role there. So I'm the chief marketing officer at Duck Creek, and I'm responsible globally for all marketing and communications. And that goes from brand all the way through pipeline creation, pipeline development, as well as pipeline acceleration. We have long sales cycles. So I kind of think of pipeline in two different dimensions. And then also customer retention. So marketing at Duck Creek is responsible for things like the online user community, our customer advisory board, and a lot of the existing customer engagement. So it's really full lifecycle marketing. And of course, everything from demand generation and product marketing, PR, media, all those traditional functions. But I think of it as brand, pipeline, and retention. Wow. And then who are Duck Creek Technologies customers? What does Duck Creek Technologies do? So Duck Creek, uh, we're about 20 years old, um, and we are one of the leading insurance software providers in the world. So we focus on property and casualty carriers. So our biggest customers are companies like Geico and Travelers and Liberty Mutual. And we have about 200 other carriers that we support with our software. And basically, we are the guts of a carrier policy, billing, claims. So those processes and the platform that runs them is Duck Creek products. Okay. So if you're a Geico customer, for example, and you're filling out a policy, that whole policy process and the development of the policy, the pricing, 
the documentation, all of that interaction is run on Duck Creek. Same for pol- same for claims. If you have a claim, right, and hopefully you don't have too many claims in your life, and we support both commercial and personal lines. So a whole array of businesses within uh, property and casualty. Global, uh, we have about two thousand employees, and uh, like I said, we've been around about twenty years, and you know, recognized as one of the leaders. On the global side of things, like, do you take a centralized approach to the global marketing or decentralized where you've got folks all over and you're leading other leaders in that marketing way? More the latter. Um, There's always some customization and unique activities and trends in the different regions. But by and large, I have found the insurance industry to be more similar than not um, relative to other technologies and companies that I've been at. So we take a global approach. We get adoption from our regional teams in terms of the campaigns and the content that we build. Of course, the regional teams always want local references and you know the spelling. And so there's a localization process that, that we go through. Global covers a lot of what we need to do. Okay. So you're in your first year as the CMO at Duck Creek, I think. Is that right? Yes, yes. Um, okay, cool. Eight months. So you've, you've already, in the tenure of the, of the CMO, you're doing great because, you know, a lot a lot of CMOs, as you know, like- I haven't got fired yeah, yet. That's what I'm saying. A lot of CMOs come in for a, a rebrand or reorg or, you know, a retire, one, one, one of those things. And so so as you reflect on the past almost year there at Duck Creek, and I know your, your responsibility is great. You mentioned that. What are some of the early wins? Like, what are some of the things that you did in your first 90 days, you know, first three or four or five months or so- and what are some of the wins that you're excited about and really proud of? I would say one of the, the, the first thing is around the people and the team, assessing the talent, managing the attrition, right? There was a gap between me and my predecessor and some people were leaving or, and so kind of managing that whole team process. And I look back and, you know, in a very short period of time, we've doubled the team. Uh, we brought in a lot of really good talent from the outside. We transitioned a lot of people from other roles in Duck Creek into marketing. So that's really exciting. You get that, you know, insurance, duck expertise, and now people interested in a different career path. And so I think just kind of getting that team together and recruiting and um, building that team culture and solidifying the team, because there was a transition, right? And there was a, it wasn't an easy period, um, you know, in, the, in terms of that gap. So the team would be one thing that I would say is a quick win. Another, we have a flagship event each year. Of course, COVID, we didn't do it, but we call it formation. And that's where that's our big user conference. We had about a thousand people in Orlando and that took place a couple of months ago. So you can imagine first time CMO, I'm in the middle, I come in in the middle of planning and by all measures from partner engagement and sponsorship to customer attendance and feedback, it was a really, really positive event for Duck Creek and our customers and partners. And so that was very high visibility. And I would definitely count that as a quick win. I know you talked about leadership and I think that's a big piece, obviously, of your responsibility, but then your connection to the CEO, you know, and I think it's Mike Jakowski. Mike, yeah. Jacko, as his friends call. Jacko, okay. You came in, there was a gap from the previous marketing leader. You've got an opportunity to build connection and, and trust and rapport with, with Mike, the CEO. What are some of the things you're doing to align with the CEO kind of in the earlier days and really getting an understanding of this business? It's a new industry for you. Um, what's your approach to just, yeah, to kind of to reaching across the aisle and building trust with the CEO and maybe other stakeholders across the C-suite there? At my last company, the CEO told me and all of my peers on the executive leadership team that you have three jobs in order of priority. 
Job number one is you are my guide, my counselor, my coach. Make me successful. Help me do my job as CEO. Job number one. Job number two, you are a member of the executive leadership team. That is your team. Job number three, you run your function. So in my case, I run marketing in priority order. So if you think about that framework, that is a different way of thinking about how people, and if you look at your calendar, how do you spend your time? Who are you talking with? What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about, wow, how could I help Mike do his job as CEO? Or am I thinking about you know, the day-to-day in marketing? And I shared that framework with Mike um, as I joined. He's like, wow, I love that. And so when he and I speak, we actually, I will actually say, hey, I'm in kind of position number one right now. I'm giving you guidance and feedback, or I'm a member of the ELT, or you know what? I'm going to dive deep right now into marketing, wow. right? I'm in, the, I'm in the third round. And he loves that framework. And we have kind of a shorthand. Mike is also just a terrific human being. He's a kind of salt of the earth, Midwest, nice guy. And I'm new to insurance, but I would wager that Mike knows more about the business of insurance and the technology of insurance. And I say those things, business and technology, about as well as anyone in the, in the world on the planet. Wow. I mean, it is the guy is an encyclopedia. And every time I interact with him, I learn. I learn a lot. So we enjoy each other's company on the personal side. Um, we have a lot in common. That framework of the three jobs I found resonated well with him and this helped build our relationship early. That's fantastic. I, I mean, I love that. I love, you know, there's certain organizations that I get a chance to connect with and you get the sense that the ELT is really protecting and supporting each other. And, and certainly the CEO, it's like protect and support the CEO so they can be in their zone of genius and you all can be in yours. And so just hearing those, the, those three frameworks are just absolutely brilliant. I love that. Look, you've got 24 hours in the day. And again, your responsibility is great and you're in a really interesting industry. So I love that. By the way, I love zone of genius. I wrote that down. That's awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I really like that. And for those listening, I would ask yourself, like your leadership team, are you just a bunch of people that report to the same person or are you really, truly operating as a team? When someone calls you, you drop what you're doing and you support them, right? First and foremost, are your goals aligned? And it's, it's hard. It's hard. And most... <laughs> Most organizations I've been at are more people reporting the same person as opposed to truly operating as a first team. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, look, and you've had a lot of experience at some some storied brands where I'm sure you, you've you got to see and experience a lot of various things and with leadership, certainly transitioning into leadership. On the formation event, there was something that I saw, Mike, Mike was quoted saying something around, there is a hardening market in professional liability and he added that the companies that take more of a surgical approach will do better than those who take more of a spray and pray approach. It seems like that is where kind of Duck Creek is heading is being more surgical in their approach. And how did that align with you and the strategy around marketing? Did anything shift? Were you already going down that road anyway? Yeah, I would answer that two ways. One, and not to parse what you said, but I would say that it's really our platform and our technology that allows the carriers to be surgical in their segmentation and as they address customers. There are, and again, I'm new to, new to insurance, but there are dozens and dozens of segments, right? Personal auto, personal shipping, personal. I mean, there is just literally dozens, right? And all the specialty insurance around commercial. Um, imagine how many different types of businesses there are in the country, right? Just go to the SIC codes. There are hundreds and thousands, right? So you need a platform that is flexible, that's configurable, 
that is updated real time, that's cloud-based. And so, um, again, not going down too much the product selling here, but we really think of ourselves as enabling the carriers to segment and address new markets quickly and efficiently and, and in a really targeted way. Now, the other way I would answer that is how do we choose what markets we go after? What carriers do we go after, right? There are carriers of all sizes and in insurance. We talk about five tiers, tier one being the big ones and all the way down to tier five. We have regions, right? We're not in every country, right? We're global and our, our product does scale globally, but we're not in every country, right? So we have to make hard decisions. What are we in? What are we not? What lines of business are we targeting? And what personas, right? And what products do we have? Because some of our products like reinsurance, that's really a sale to the CFO where, you know, policy goes to, right? Someone that's, that's doing underwriting or claims it's the, you know, chief claims adjuster, right? We have to be really targeted because we can't do everything, right? We're limited with budget <laughs> as every marketer out there is limited. Right. And so, yeah, that, that's the other way that I would answer. I think your, your question around choices and segmentation and how we target. Hmm. How did you evaluate the technology kind of before you took the opportunity? Again, you come from amazing brands. You, you're now entering into a newer industry. What are some of the things you're doing kind of outside looking in to say, okay, I'm looking at Duck Creek. They're looking at me again, but it's in a new world, a new industry. How do you evaluate that this is the right next step for Jeff Winter? Yeah. Well, my criteria, and I did not have this early in my career, but I've sort of in my in my criteria for selecting a job, I have kind of four or five different different things I look at. The first is culture. And of course, they put you up with people that are obviously going to you know, reflect a very positive culture. But the people I spoke with, I really connected with during the interview process. I happen to not know anyone that worked at Duck Creek. So it was really going off of that. But culture would be one. And I got a really good feel for a level of decency and uh, professionalism there. Number two is the industry, right? Is this a hot industry? And if you look at, I watch a lot of sports on TV and the advertising coming from insurers, businesses and industries that don't have a lot of money are not spending money on TV advertising. And then you look at the venture capital funding that's going into insure techs, billions every year. It's one of the hottest markets from a PE and, and VC perspective. And so the industry is growing rapidly. And Duck Creek, and this is public information, as the number, call it two player in the industry, we're growing 20% organically. Wow. 20% organically. That's our target this year. And again, it's public. So it is a growing, healthy industry. And then I looked at our role um, in the industry. And you look at Gartner Magic Quadrant or anything, you know, we are a well-positioned brand, one of the, you know, uh, one of the leaders, one of the more respected companies in the industry. And then my last criteria was the role of marketing. Does marketing have a seat at the table? Is it tucked under sales or product or is it reporting to CEO? Is there ample budget? How does the CEO think about and talk about marketing? And so, you know, basically there were big check marks in all those boxes as I evaluated Duck Creek. So far in my eight months, I've not been disappointed. Oh, that's great. I love it. You seem to like break it down in a simplistic, but yet still profound way of like, hey, these are the buckets that really matter. And then you can really dive in as deep as you want there. And I, I'm again, I'm writing these down too. I'm like, these are great. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about pipeline acceleration. I know you mentioned that as something, mm. you know, I know us as an organization, similar to you, long sales cycles and these, these really elusive B2B buyers are super interesting and how they're making decisions, how you're engaging with them. I just love your thoughts around pipeline acceleration, the things that you're doing that you're seeing working well at Duck Creek? Yeah, I will be honest. Um, we're still building 
the model at Duck Creek, right? I'm only here eight months, and um, but I, I will talk more broadly about where I've seen success in the past. Okay. Around pipeline acceleration because SAP, ERP, long sales cycles. Yeah. Some of the products within Pivy Bows were also quite long sales cycles. So it starts with content. And you need to think about content really from a supply chain perspective. And if you map out an audience and a target that you're going after, and you know that you have to have dialogue with this individual persona, set of personas, complicated, multi um, dimensional buying centers, right? You got to have a conversation over a six, 12, 18 month period. So you got to map out, okay, at these two trade shows that we're going to invite the people to, right? Okay, that's a couple of tactics that'll be spread out. We're going to go do these two webinars. Here are two or three email nurtures that are tied to a specific um, piece of content. We got to go build that content. We got to go fund that content, right? So you really got to lay out a long vision and all of the different decision trees around if they do this, we give them this. So they do that, we, they, they're in a nurture. If they, the whiteboard is really big and the budgets and people's time get really expensive. So, you know, it's imperative. And we're in the kind of, I'd say, third or fourth inning of this at Duck Creek, where we're kind okay. of defining strategic campaigns is the way that we're talking about them. It's showing us that we can't do 10 or 12 campaigns next year. We're going to do like three. Wow. We're going to launch like one a quarter. They're going to last for a year because these are big problems and we're kind of couching them. So they'll, they'll be able to encompass multiple products and multiple segments. But um, yeah, we're in the process of making that, uh, doing that sausage. And then, you know, if you look at telemarketing, the BDR function plays a significant role in there. Account-based marketing further down the funnel um, with digital advertising, targeting, you know, a very specific segment of your pipeline. And the other thing that I think is really important with acceleration is collaboration with sales and just being crystal clear, where do you need our help? Where do you not need our help? Because if they are, you know, stage five in their negotiations, what's the point of doing anything custom for that, for that customer, right? Nine times out of 10, sales is going to be on their own and very capable. That's, I was going to lead into that as a next question. And I've, I've spoken to some CMOs where the BDRs are actually rolling up to marketing versus sales. Is that the case at Duck Creek or is are the BDRs on the sales side? It just changed. Ah. It literally just changed. Yeah. It wasn't sales. Okay. And I, by the way, I've been at companies where it's been all over. And there's no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. There really is no right or wrong. I think you want to put the BDR function where they are going to get the most attention. You know, I've I've managed BDRs dotted line, right? They actually got paid by sales and reported to sales and they're in-house. I'm now managing a outsource model, one that I've used in the past, a company called Televerde. And um, I like that model for a variety of reasons. It can work in either, in either model, really can. You just have to be really clear, really clear about how you want them spending their time. Is it to go identify new contacts? Is it to go nurture existing opportunities that sales might not have time for because they're busy closing deals? Is it to go generate top of funnel MQLs, right? Those are three different actions, right? And you're giving them different data and you're giving them different KPIs depending on what you want to do. And I've seen the BDR operation or the results fall down, not because the BDRs aren't good. Sometimes that happens, right? But it happens when there's not alignment between marketing and sales around what we need. So I think just that alignment is really, really important. Dive into that, the sales marketing alignment a bit. Of course, that's an age old an age-old topic, and I always love asking marketing leaders, you know, what they're doing to align with sales. 
what's your approach there, you know, and what are some of the things you're doing that are you seeing work really well in terms of planning together, strategizing together, reaching across the aisle and having that trust and rapport there? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is you got to convince sales that it's their fault. And once they accept that it's all their fault, I think that's when you can start to have real dialogue and, and an honest interaction. No, um, <laughs> it's only 90% of sales. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, no, I think, I think it's a couple of things. One, and this goes back to culture, by the way, like, do you work in an organization where marketing is valued and has a seat at the table? Because more often than not, sales is going to be the one that has a little more power and authority and there's a sales driven culture more than a market, right? So some of it's cultural. A lot of it comes down to just relationships. Like I happen to always forge really strong relationships with my sales counterparts. And I've done that here. Eugene, my boy, uh, chief operating officer, we get along great. And we see eye to eye business-wise and we have very open dialogue. So those personal interactions I think are really important. The third is around metrics and just being aligned around what are we going to do? Like, what again, is it, do you need leads? Do you need more swings at the bat? Or do you just want air cover? Do you need to spend more money on and time on reference activity and analyst report? Like, you just have to know because each company is different. Each salesperson, each somebody's region could be different in terms of what they need. And you just have to have that time and space to have those conversations. And then I think you got to really listen. You got to listen. So I've always set up what we call the uh, a marketing advisory council. So I run it personally. No managers, only reps, customer facing. It could be some pre-sales, could be some professional services, mainly sales reps, customer facing people. I get them together every four weeks, six weeks. We actually had two sessions last week, right? Um, but just for feedback. Hey, we're thinking about rolling out this new campaign. What do you think? Or we're thinking about this for the agenda at formation. What do you think, right? And so it's just an opportunity to get feedback and that that has proven to me really, really valuable. And then the last thing I would say is data. Have conversations around data, not around opinions and thoughts, right? Yeah. What were the results? What are our targets? You know, don't be theoretical, be really grounded in the data. You mentioned in a recent interview on MarTech series that you're not a fan of spreadsheets. What about the use of spreadsheets bothers you? They're static. They take people's time to update. Where dashboards, if you're pulling data directly from systems, um, you don't need people to go do that. You can have those same people analyzing. There also is, there's room for error, right? If you're pulling data from systems, there's no user error, right? In terms of data entry or whatever. And you can't slice and dice easily, right? I mean, if you're a, you know, a math whiz and a statistical genius, right? I mean, you could do a lot of really great stuff really quickly in, in spreadsheets, but you know, you're not hiring marketers to, to, to with those skill sets, right? You want them analytical, you want them data driven, and there's such good tools out there, so many good analytics BI tools that you know you, you got to be you got to be working off of dashboards. You just got to be. It's 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 table stakes, and it has been frankly for a while. Yeah. How does Duck Creek efficiently gather data and glean actionable insights today in 2022? I would say we do a pretty good job. I'll just look at marketing, right? So we use an account-based marketing tool called DemandBase. Lots of dashboards, data, insight, um, intent data, lots of really good information about our accounts. We score them, really good stuff. We use HubSpot as our CRM, as our marketing automation platform. And then we use Salesforce as our single source of truth in terms of contacts and, and sales, um, Salesforce automation. When I look at those three platforms, I'm pushing the operations team hard to say, can I get a single view across these three data streams 
So I can look at from lead all the way to opportunity close one. We can't do that today, right? So that's a little bit of work that we need to do. So do we have world-class tools? Yes. Are we leveraging those world-class tools? Yes. Are we using those in an integrated fashion to get the most important questions answered? No, no. So we got a little work to do around the integration. And then there's some cultural stuff too around keeping, you know, sharing data, um, keeping data current. There is a lot of data that sits in disparate systems, repeated data, people's on, you know, people using their laptops <laughs> and Outlook for contact data, right? So, you know, but every company has those sort of challenges as well. So I'd give Duck Creek a decent grade for our data right now. Okay, okay. You mentioned Salesforce. Obviously, they sponsor this show. Oh, hi, Salesforce. Is it a good experience with Salesforce? How's that going for you? Can you give any examples of how that's going? Yeah, yeah. I would say, you know, and also a couple of the Salesforce um, tools like Lightning that we've been using more of, those have been really good. Some really slick dashboards, really um, easy to manipulate. So Salesforce has become so ubiquitous. I think the last three companies, um, including one that used to sell its own CRM, <laughs> use Salesforce in some of its areas. Yeah, I would say that it's been a positive experience with Salesforce. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure they'll appreciate that. Okay, so let's shift a little bit. I'm curious. I mean, I'm, I'm to be honest, most curious about this because I'm a basketball fan. Tell us a little bit about, you know, playing professional basketball in Tel Aviv. What was that like? It was it was awesome. Funny story about how I got there, though. I played college basketball at Skidmore College, which is a small liberal arts school in upstate New York. Had a good career, you know, started three years, played varsity all four, scored a thousand points and, you know, had a good career. And literally the day I got home from college, a rabbi called me from Florida. And this rabbi is a rabid sports fan. His side hustle, he recruits Jewish American basketball players to play in Israel. And he has a legitimate relationship with a, a legitimate sports agent in Israel. How he knew that I was Jewish, I have no idea. I made some like Jewish national all-star team. And he's like, hey, do you want to play pro ball in Israel? And I did not have anything career-wise lined up at the time. And I'm like, sure. So my college basketball coach, and I'm dating myself, put a VHS tape together, shipped it over to Israel, got a bunch of tryouts lined up, ended up staying with a family that was the uh, first team that I tried out with. Wow. The manager of the team invited me to stay with them until I found a team. So I literally lived with this family for a month. Wow. An amazing experience. Still in touch with them. They're just a beautiful family. Signed with the team, went back from my brother's wedding, picked up my then girlfriend, now wife. We then uh, moved into a tiny little apartment in Tel Aviv near the beach and just had an amazing eight months, right? Basketball-wise, honestly, it wasn't my best season. It was a totally different game um, than what I was used to. But living in Tel Aviv was amazing. The cultural experience was second to none. And it was just, uh, it was a really special year. Wow. And then marketing, kind of your dance with marketing began after that, I'm assuming. It did. It did. Um, I was sure I didn't want to do anything in business when I was in college, hence my English major. Um, <laughs> and boy, did that prove wrong. But no, I think... Thought I wanted to be a lawyer, so I spent a year on Capitol Hill. Okay. Awesome experience, but knew I didn't want to go to law. My whole family were a bunch of lawyers. And then um, I got involved in this nonprofit that was doing urban revitalization in downtown DC. And there was a director of marketing there. It was small, it's like a 20-person nonprofit. And this guy, he was marketing. I saw like segmentation, but I didn't know it was segmentation because he was marketing our services. He was marketing the or the entity that we were. And then he was also marketing downtown DC as a destination. So I saw like how he was strategically developing campaigns and targeting different personas from 
residents that live outside of the area that we were focused on. And anyhow, it just piqued my interest around marketing. And at the same time, I had two good friends that were going through major career changes and they were in business school. And I was like, you know, I don't think I want to do this nonprofit thing long-term. Um, and they're like, go to business school. I'm like, for what? They're like, I don't know, just go to business school. So <laughs> I walked away from a very low nonprofit salary, which was probably easier than some people at the time. And um, yeah, I went to business school down at Emory and, you know, just got interested in marketing and focused my class selection there and wow. did an internship with IBM and, you know, in marketing. And then, you know, 20 some years later, and now I'm a marketing guy. Talk about the transition from going from like individual contributor marketer to, to marketing leader. That's always a big shift that I, I love hearing. It's always nuanced there. But for you, where were you at the time when you said, okay, now I want to shift into leadership, marketing leadership. And what was that kind of journey like for you? Yeah, it was awesome. I spent my first several years at IBM, individual contributor, so never managed people at IBM. Then one of my friend, colleagues, then friends, now friends, was starting to build a team at SAP Marketing, focused on the professional services organization. And she hired me in as an individual contributor. And I swear, every like two or three months, she just like gave me something else, like another project, another person, another area. And before I knew it, I was like managing two or three people. I was fortunate to have her, her name is Carmen O'Shea. I was fortunate to have her as a, as a manager, mentor, friend, because I learned all of my management skills, a lot of them from her. She's terrific. You know, early on, I, I did a lot by kind of gut and feel and just kind of following and mimicking the things that I liked and avoiding the things I didn't like from my own managers. Um, I didn't take a super scientific approach to management. I've done a lot more of that later using, you know, some tools and kind of more tried and true techniques. I, it was it was a little bit from the hip and some of it worked, you know. Um, I think I'm a pretty outgoing guy. I make myself vulnerable. So people, I think like but at the same time, you know, I look back and I made a lot of mistakes. Like I would treat everyone the same. I didn't really manage people according to their tendencies and their personalities and their goals. I just sort of assumed that everyone was like me mm. and everyone wanted the same things that I did. And, you know, and uh, stubbed my toe a couple of times. But, um, you know, I, I found that I really did like it. I really enjoyed managing people and seeing their growth and development. And so as I, you know, developed my career and moved up in the world, managing people and teams didn't become like, oh, I'm just going to manage more and bigger because I'm getting more senior and I'm getting promoted. It was something I really enjoyed, like really, really enjoyed. Mm, that's great. I love it. There's an article about this insurance technology, Aon and PayPal, Applied Systems and Inc. Address Digital Payments. Broadly, the article lays out a few different projects where tech is being used to augment insurance in particular concerning payments? Yeah, yeah. So the the, the way that we talk about it and think about it um, in the world of insurance is we call that embedded insurance. Okay. So you have non-insurers, traditional non-insured insurance carriers providing insurance, right? When you book a trip, right? You're always asked, do you want travel insurance? Now, when you buy a, you know, a Tesla, right? They're going to offer you insurance on the spot. To me, from a personalization perspective, that's kind of meeting customers where they are, right? If I can buy my car and get my insurance in the same interaction, fantastic, right? Who likes going through the insurance, the, the process of selecting an insurance carrier? You know, embedded insurance is really important. In payments, you know, we see that um, in space, right? There are all these payment platforms. How can they embed their technology and capability to make that customer interaction that much more seamless, right? So it literally feels like 
it's one interaction, it's one screen, it's one set of processes, and the customer's not burdened with different passcodes and different screens and different experiences with the vendor that they're working with, right? Mm. Are there any other trends that you're seeing broadly in the tech meets insurance space right now? Well, you can't, you know, talk about technology without, you know, saying artificial intelligence and AI, right? And machine learning. And there's, um, you know, and it's, it's definitely true in insurance. I mean, the amount of data, I would say like, you know, retail probably has more data. You could say life sciences just because of the, the scope. And, you know, if you look at, you know, oil and gas mining, there's unbelievable amounts of data, right? But insurance carriers, there is a there is so much data, right? From regulatory data to customer data to risk data, compliance. So there is so much data and having the ability to really, you know, analyze that data in an AI kind of ML fashion um, is increasingly important to carriers. And we are now you know, Doc Creek, again, not advertising our product portfolio, but um, we are getting pretty sophisticated in, in, um, in, in what we're able to allow, you know, enable carriers to do in terms of analyzing their data and get a competitive differentiation and advantage. Are you doing any kind of experimenting in the marketing side of things? Do you have stuff that you're thinking further out in the future, any, you know, special stuff that you're interested in or have some folks working on that's more experimental in nature? So there's an incubator you know, we have a small number of folks out of the engineering organization that are like, literally, they, they are reporting into, you know, they have nothing to do with the day-to-day. They are tasked every day, think three to five years out. Beautiful. So they are doing some really interesting things around location data. I was just talking to the person that's, uh, that's running the incubator the other day, in fact. And so, yeah, there is a group that's because, you know, innovation is so important at Duck Creek. The other thing that we did, which is really cool at Formation is, We've run a, an internal hackathon. We call it the Hatchathon. Everything we do at Duck Creek's got to have a duck theme name, right? It's a cute little logo with an egg and a little, you know, hatching idea. But uh, so we've run a Hatchathon internally for years, and that has actually generated real product and real feature and innovation in products that we have brought to market. This year at uh, Formation, for the first time, we actually made it public. So we had our customers and partners participate in that hatchathon and we came up there were some amazing ideas and i think at least four or five of them are now sort of in the process of okay let's turn this into a product so that's a really good mechanism for us to to generate generate ideas both internally and with our customers and partners that's fantastic very smart and i love how you opened it up to outside of just internal folks i think that's yeah. brilliant brilliant as well let's get into some fun lightning round questions are you ready all right here we go all right so before we get into this i have to Give a shout out to Salesforce. As I mentioned, Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. So we appreciate you, Salesforce. If you want to learn about marketing and engagement brought together, learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. First question we have for Jeff Winter, CMO for Duck Creek Technologies. In an interview in Authority Magazine, Charlie Katz wrote this about you. Jeff is a recovering triathlete, enthusiastic golfer, tone deaf guitar player, and political wonk. What do you love most out of all these activities? Struggling golfer. You and I share this one together, brother. So, okay. What's the similarity between all of them? I'm humble and I have room to improve. Got it. And do you still play basketball very much? No, I did the men's league thing and man, it just, the mind and the body are just not aligned. <laughs> I was, I'm so much better in my mind than I can actually execute. So, no. Got it. What's your favorite basketball team? 
Uh, I grew up in D.C., so or yeah, outside D.C., so I'm a loyal sports fan. So the uh, Washington Wizards in the NBA and the Maryland Terrapins. Um, I'm a Terps guy. Been going, we went to Maryland basketball camp for years. Okay. Who's your favorite basketball player? Favorite basketball player? I like Luka Doncic a lot. Okay. Last time you tried something new? Last time I tried something new? Taking the CMO role in an industry you knew nothing about? Yeah, that was the last time I tried something. I was thinking about like an actual activity. Um, I, my wife signed me up, but COVID kind of messed it up. The uh, hoverboards. Okay. Right? I'm not a big like water surfer guy, but I was going to do the hoverboard. Yeah. But I guess CMO of an industry I didn't, I didn't know. Right? Okay. Um, what's a life lesson you learned the hard way? Mm, lack of preparation. I showed up for a meeting when I was at IBM with a really big customer and i showed up with a colleague of mine and we thought we would just go in there and we're ibm and you know we're these smart young and man they were a bunch of sharp people that were expecting us to like have answers and it was painful the leader of the meeting shut it down put his team away and basically was really nice about it and coached us and that was uh the punishment wasn't too bad i learned it but it was really really humbling and and it be a good lesson with preparation can't forget that one okay um what's an activity that makes you lose track of time wordle wordle is that an app you don't know wordle i don't know wordle oh yeah it's uh it's a game that's become pretty popular the last six months basically you have to guess a five-letter word uh in six tries or less okay and there's a whole process around guessing and getting the answers and figuring out the clues and all that it's okay. uh it is addictive okay i'll check it out it's a thing like literally hundreds of thousands of people post their wordle answers on twitter oh and gosh kind of stupid but yeah it's great it's fun game. if you could choose one book as a mandatory read for all high school students which book would you choose on the road jack kerouac oh yeah adventure okay. live life if covid okay. has taught us anything man you live once that's yeah well said would you rather lose all of your old memories or never be able to make new ones? Oh, <laughs> oh that's painful. I'd say lose the old ones. <laughs> okay, I'll recover. We'll cover, we'll cover with this one. <laughs> if tomorrow, tomorrow you show up at you know, Duck Creek and, and all of a sudden, whole marketing team's gone and you got to build the marketing team from scratch, mm. what role are you hiring first and why? Head of product. Head of product marketing. Okay. Okay. The reason is there's nothing more important than your message to the market, what you wrap around that, how you do it, but to understand what our inherent value proposition is or competitive differentiation, and then positioning that effectively to the market, I think is the, the cornerstone of, of how you engage the market. I love that. If you could whisper in the ear of your younger marketing leader self, what would you say? I would say, do a little more listening, slow down a little, always look at the data. If you could effortlessly pick up one skill in an instant, what would it be? Guitar. Guitar. I like that. I love, I, I'm a, I love going to see music and concerts and man, I would just love to be able to play the guitar well. Last question. What is one thing you would like to do this year that you've never done before? Climb a mountain at a national park. That's a, that's a first, I've never heard that answer. That's great, that's awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being here. This was a really insightful conversation. 
congratulations on the, on the role there. I know that you're definitely not finished, uh, but this has been a really cool conversation and thank you for being on Marketing Trends. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Jeremy. Really good to spend some time with you. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.